today, this morning, I want to talk about something very powerful. Uh, hopefully the message will be powerful, but the topic is very powerful. Something that is so, uh, so powerful that for many people, it's the difference between life and death. I want to talk this morning about something that's so powerful that it's a difference between pressing on a little bit longer and giving up. Uh, This morning, I want to talk about something that's so powerful that it's the difference between uh, being a victim and being a survivor. Today, I want to talk about something so powerful that the Shawshank Redemption says it is a good thing, maybe even the best of things. Today, I want to talk about something that the Apostle Paul says is one of three indispensable things that you need in this life apart from faith and love. This morning, I want to talk about hope and the power of hope. Because if you look in our world today, hope is something that is in pretty short supply. I remember after worship service a couple, a couple months ago, uh, one young, young middle school uh, sister <clears throat> came up to me. She had been crying, and she said, uh, Pastor D.L., I don't know what to do with my friend. She's so sad. She's so depressed. She's hurting herself with different things. She has a boyfriend who is a bad influence, and she said, I have no reason to live. How can I help her to have hope? I remember another conversation with someone for whom they confessed that my everything in my life was wrapped up in my family. But one by one, the strands of my family started falling apart, and now I have no reason to go on. When hope is lost, how can I live? How can I continue to go on? If somehow we could take hope and we could package it up and we could sell it to the world, we'd be the richest people on the planet. Because this is a world that is dying and desperate for hope. Today I want to talk about how the gospel encourages us with this simple fact that if we know Jesus, that no matter where we are, no matter what day of the week it is, even on the most ordinary of days, you can be a dispenser of hope to those who are desperately in need of it. I want to look at Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. A story of hope where hope was lost, but at the end it stands renewed in a way that this person could never have begun to dream before. Mark chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. We're going to see that faith and hope and love, all of these things grow in stages. And hope grows in stages. You don't go from being hopeless to being full of hope in a moment, but it grows in stages. We want to talk about the stages of hope and how we can be restorers of hope to the hopeless. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This is God's word. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Okay, so Jesus is home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, They made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. 
Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. This is God's word. This is fascinating, amazing. If you are here last week, we uh, looked at a life of another paralytic, right? And I think next week we may look at another paralytic. This is kind of interesting. But today, what's going on? It says that uh, if you read in chapter 1, Jesus has become quite popular. He's been doing all of these uh, things that they would consider to be a minor celebrity status things. He was teaching, he was preaching, crowds were coming, but he was also healing people. He was raising up people who had been lame and sick, and all of these crazy things were happening. And Jesus is sneaking out of these cities in order that he might not blow up his spot. Because if he does, then it would, uh, it would accelerate the process whereby which the religious people would get angry and they would want to kill him. And it was not Jesus' time yet. We're only in chapter 2 of Mark. And so <clears throat> as he's becoming popular, Jesus sneaks out to this small little town called Capernaum, which they said was home for Jesus. So apparently uh, he sets up his home base in a, in a place called Capernaum. And he goes to this house, and most people think it was probably uh, Peter's home. right? Simon Peter's house wasn't uh, Jesus' home necessarily. But he's at this house. It's a small house. And, and the word gets out that Jesus, the miracle maker, is here in Capernaum. And so the crowds start coming around him. And they flock into this home, and he's having house church. So Jesus is sitting there teaching and people start flooding in that room in the hopes that maybe he's going to say something amazing or he's going to give us a miracle. The people are coming, they're crowding in and, you know, it's, it's, if you can imagine we're in this little house having worship service and Jesus is teaching, standing room only, people are trying to get in, but they can't get in. And so they're standing out at the doors trying to hear in and listen to what Jesus is saying in this little house in Capernaum. There's this group of people who would not be denied, though. They're carrying, four of them are carrying this paralyzed man on a mat, okay? And they're, they're bringing him to Jesus. They get to the door, and they realize there's no room in. It's packed. It's filled. And so they said, oh, well, uh, nothing we can do. Let's just drop him here. They don't say that. They say, we're going we're gonna to climb up the stairs. In most houses in those days, there were stairs leading up to the roof. And so they take him up the stairs and they say, if we can't get in the door, we're going to go in through the roof. Okay, this is crazy. Like, who does this kind of stuff? Right? Imagine in the most crowded of churches, okay, in this tiny little church that meets in a home, the preacher is preaching and then you, you start seeing sunlight uh, coming through the roof. And then all of a sudden the roof starts dropping down on people's heads. And all of a sudden you're like, dude, what's going on? And not only this hole, but it, it blows open and they're lowering somebody on a mat in order to get in front of Jesus. Like, this is crazy stuff. Wild stuff. And yet at the end of this, the man who was carried on a mat leaves this place carrying his mat, 
full of a hope which he never thought before was possible. The interesting thing, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all of them talk about this true story that happened, yet none of them mention any of the names, either the paralytic or the four people who carried him. Why? The whole emphasis is not on the people per se, but on Jesus as the one who can restore hope to people. And he's saying ordinary people like you and me can find healing at the feet of Jesus. And ordinary people like you and me can be restorers of hope to people like our paralyzed friends. Hope grows in stages. How does this happen? The first thing that we're going to see, hope is awakened. Okay, Hope is awakened when you run towards someone that everyone else runs from. Okay? Hope is awakened when you run towards someone that everybody else runs away from. If there was a person that people ran away from, it would be this paralytic. Uh, there is a uh, one of the most famous Christian inspirational stories of someone who was paralyzed is Johnny Erickson Tata. She was a young woman when she went diving in a lake, and the lake was uh, shallower than she thought. Her head hit the bottom of the lake, and she was paralyzed from the neck down. And as she lived life that way, she was so angry and she was so bitter, right? Someone who was so energetic and full of life and full of mobility and, and athletic and active, all of a sudden being confined to a wheelchair, could not move anything. And she said she would spend most of those early days angry and bitter and upset, locked in this prison that was her body. She said for her the most Difficult thing about this, okay, if you can imagine, the worst thing about being paralyzed was that I could not lift my arms to kill myself. That was the body of hopelessness within which she was confined and trapped into. This was her life. Now, the life of a paralytic was equally hopeless because they were completely dependent upon other people, dependent on people for food, for money, for, to, to move anywhere you want to go, you had to have people move you. You couldn't get up and move yourself. He was paralyzed, and he spent his entire life on a mat. And probably one of the harder things than simply being trapped in a body with which, in which you cannot move is the social isolation that comes from being a paralytic. There was a complete sense of being ostracized from every kind of community. It wasn't like people were flocking to the paralytic. Maybe once in a while, somebody might have sympathy or pity, and they would drop money into their jar. Or maybe someone would bake an extra loaf of bread and would drop it at the, at the, uh, at the mouth of the paralytic. But paralyzed people in those days, well, not in, in those days, but he did not have control over his bodily functions. He couldn't get up to go to the bathroom. He had no muscle control, and so he would... Go to the bathroom whenever he felt like going. And with nobody to clean him up, he was extremely unhygienic. He was smelly. He was dirty. And so even if somebody had sympathy for him, they might drop something before him, but nobody would hang out with him. It would take a very rare kind of a person to clean him, to wash him, and to give him any kind of human touch. This was a plight of a person 
trapped in a body of paralysis. People were not running towards him. People were running away from him. And when that happens, you can imagine the sense of hopelessness that nobody cares, nobody sees, nobody helps me. I'm all alone in my isolation, not only to, not to mention the fact that I can't do anything to help myself. If ever there was a helpless and hopeless situation, it was the plight of a paralytic. If you think about it, we all have things in our lives if people knew that would cause them to run away from us. The reality for most of us is that we cover these things up pretty well. And so people don't see those things. We feel like, you know what, if I let people see them, then they wouldn't want to be my friend. They wouldn't want to stay married to me. They would run away from me. They wouldn't be part of my intimate circle of friends. And so we hide the baggage and we hide the brokenness, but the reality is that every single one of us has something in us, whether visible or invisible, that would cause people to run away from us. The thing about the paralytic was that it was written all over his body. <clears throat> and with every sense, people could understand why the paralytic wouldn't be their friend. People are running as quickly as they could away from this man and away from his issues. We all have things like that, don't we? I read this article about, uh, written by a man. It was a letter written by a man named Bob Cornelius. He was a man in, in Kansas City. Uh, it was kind of viral on the Internet, so you may have read it. But um, he was a father of an 11-year-old boy, Christopher, who is autistic. Uh, he, he wrote this letter about how he went to Christopher's back-to-school night and he looked at the different projects that Christopher had made. And there was one thing, uh, it was one piece of paper where fill in the blank. And my favorite thing is this, my favorite that, my favorite animal. And so they had all these lists of things and fill in the blank, my favorite sport is soccer, my favorite food is pizza. And under that section where it said, my best friends are blank, Christopher had written, no one. His father, as he's reading this, says, Never have five letters cut my heart so deeply. Autistic child. For everyone who was looking at him, they said, There's the reason for us to not engage with him. And so they ran. He would see his older brothers having sleepover parties, and he would ask his dad, He said, Dad, can I have a sleepover party one day? And his dad said, of course you can. Who should we invite? Who do you want to invite? And he would start flapping his arms and he would start running away. And then his dad said, now I understood why he could never tell me who he wanted to invite. Because he had no one to invite. And he was pleading that parents could see his son for who he sees him to be. We all have things in our lives that cause people to run away. But hope is awakened when you run towards somebody when everybody else runs away. Who are the people in your life who need hope? The people in your life from whom everybody has run away from. He wrote about, Bob wrote about the time when this video, just a few weeks before, had made national news 
when there was a video taken of a Florida State University wide receiver who was going into school and there was a similarly autistic boy sitting all by himself at the cafeteria eating his lunch. He said he would every day he would eat lunch all by himself and this football player went and he sat down next to him and the boy was so happy. This video went viral and this autistic boy says now, I'm the most popular kid in my school. Everybody knows who I am. What Mark's gospel is saying is, listen, every one of us, you don't have to be a football player, but you give hope and you awaken hope in a person who's hopeless. Can you imagine the sense of hopelessness to have nobody that you can call your friend? This autistic boy, Christopher, understands the life of a paralytic because the paralytic had nobody running towards him on Thanksgiving, on all the holidays. Nobody was coming to him. He was always alone all the time. There are people like this everywhere. But hope awakens when you see people from whom everybody is running and you move towards them. Let me give you a couple examples of how this happens. A lot of times as churches, we are drawn to the story of people who come broken and they come to church and they're seeking and they're hungry. We give all of our attention and all of our love to people like that. We open the doors to our house churches. We open the door to everything and we hail them and we pray for them and we love them and we encourage them. And we're there for them because they've come. But what happens when the person who's been at church for a long time quietly falls off the map and you don't see them for a little bit? They miss house church one week. You don't see them one Sunday. You realize after a month, you know, it's been a while. I haven't seen her in a while. What do you do in a time like that? What do you do in a time like that? A lot of us will assume we know why. I've seen pictures of them on Instagram. They're getting, you know, having party. They got their own set of friends. They got their own agenda. They're doing their own thing. And we tend to let them be. But maybe the truer narrative is that there's something in their hearts that's longing for connection with the divine. And with one week away, they realize, wow, maybe I wasn't that significant to that group of people who I thought I was so meaningful to. And then two weeks away, and three weeks, and then four weeks, and they realize there's a longing in my heart for some kind of a connection that I thought was there, only to realize that it's not. And they're driving themselves into a deeper abyss of hopelessness. And when we say, well, they don't need me, they don't need us, the one thing that they're longing for is the hope incarnate that we can give to them. I think we do this a lot, don't we? We make our assumptions of where they are. We make our assumptions of what they're doing. Make our assumptions of how they're going to respond to us. But hope awakens for the hopeless when we run towards people that everyone else is running away from. You know people like that in your life? In your house church? In your Bible study class? You know people like that in our church who haven't been, haven't been around and they're losing hope And God's putting his finger on your heart. And maybe you can be one to bring hope to a person who's hopeless right now. Another another example. A lot of times people are hurting. People hurt in the aftermath of some tragedy. Someone passes away or they lose something or something difficult happens. And when news breaks out, they break up with their boyfriend or girlfriend. People come around them and they love them and they encourage them. They say, is there anything we can do? The funeral comes and people from all over out of town come and they they surround them, say, we're here for you, we love you, we're praying for you. What happens 
after the funeral is done and they make their last airport run and all of a sudden they come home to their empty house where they come home to that place and they're left to deal with that gnawing emptiness of knowing that on this side of heaven they'll never see that person again. When everybody has left, this is when the hopelessness begins to set in and it's in this place where hope is needed the most. When people have gone their own ways back to their busy lives, it's in this place that the, those who are needing hope need it the most. And we awaken hope in someone who's hopeless when we run towards a person when everybody else has run away from them. The paralytic needed hope in a massive way, in a major way. For however long he's been paralyzed, people had all these reasons why they shouldn't move towards him. But it was a group of four people who said, let's be there. Let's be different. Let's move towards him. And hope awakened in that place. The second thing that we see, again, hope grows in stages. It is awakened when we run towards the people that everybody else runs from. But it grows a mile from the ordinary. Hope grows a mile from the ordinary. It would have been very ordinary and very normal and very typical of a good friend, a good set of four friends to carry this paralytic and to bring him to this place and then realizing, hey, dude, uh, the doors are locked. It's packed. Can't get in there. Uh, he could have easily said, okay, thanks. For, thanks. Let's just wait until he's done. You can put me down here. That would have been pretty, I mean, that would have been, that would have been pretty good. Uh, hey, we carried you all this way and we let you down right here. Or let's, uh, uh, let's, yeah, there's, I don't think there's anything else that we can do. That's what, a, that's what a friend would do. But you go beyond the ordinary when you do something that would cause the paralytic to say, you know, you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to do that. And their response is, yeah, we did. We did because hope and love compel us to go the extra mile. And that's where hope begins to grow. See, people could have run. They ran to the paralytic and hope was awakened. Okay, maybe this is my day. That they could have just left him at the front of that house, never to have encountered the one who could transform his life. Hope grows, though, a mile beyond the ordinary. When I was thinking about this, I think it's a little bit appropriate because when I came in here, it was super cold and winter time is coming and a cold front is coming in. As I started thinking about Christmas, I started thinking about Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. You know Rudolph, right? We look at pictures of Rudolph with his red nose and we think, man, he's awesome. He's unlike any other reindeer. But the reality was that red nose wasn't a symbol of anything good for Rudolph. In fact, it made everybody hate him. The song goes, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer had a very shiny nose, and if you ever saw it, you would even say it glows. All of the other reindeer, though, used to laugh and call him names. They never let poor Rudolph join in any reindeer games. When you don't sing the song, it's really sad. When you stop and, and slow it down, you think about it. All the other reindeer used to laugh, ha, 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 call him names. He's a reject. He's a loser. Why does he look like that? Everyone, let's play games, everyone except for Rudolph. 
All the other reindeer ran from Rudolph. Hopeless, dark, and dreary existence. But here's what hope would look like. Santa Claus comes to Rudolph when everybody else runs away. Hope begins to awaken, but Santa goes the extra mile. Then one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, I'm not going to reject you like everybody else. I'm not going to make fun of you like everybody else. Won't you guide my sleigh tonight? And he goes above and beyond the call of duty in order that Rudolph could find a hope that he never knew was possible. Hope grows when we go beyond the ordinary, when we go a, a mile beyond the ordinary, when we go the extra mile for somebody and they say, you didn't need to do that. What do they do? They climb up on the roof and they start digging through that roof. It's not a roof like this now, but it was thatch, it was wood, it was clay, it was straw. And they're clearing through all of that regardless of what it is. The reality is that it is difficult and it is costly. It is unconventional. But they said, whatever we can do in order to get him the hope that he needs we are going to do for him. This is where hope begins to grow in the heart of a person. All of a sudden, this guy's like, not only are they carrying me, but they're going to go the extra mile. They're going to embarrass themselves for me. They're going to get themselves dirty. They're going to get themselves messy. They're going to pay the price in order that I might find hope. What does it look like for you to go the extra mile for somebody who is in need of hope incarnate. Because everyone can do the ordinary, and that might awaken hope in a person, but it will never lead to the restoration of that kind of hope. We go the extra mile, we begin to cause hope to grow. Here's the interesting thing. I wonder about this. Jesus is home. He's in Capernaum. The paralytic lives in Capernaum. A paralytic is not like he's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. He's just going to remain this way. It's not an urgent situation. It could have waited. The crowds will dissipate. Jesus, hey, can you come and can you heal my friend? They didn't need to break the roof. They didn't need to cause a commotion. They didn't need to get all this attention. Why did they do that? Why the urgency in them? to simply heal a paralytic who would have remained in this condition, why were they so desperate to get him to Jesus? Because I think the real issue here had nothing to do with his paralysis. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus looks at him and he says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, you would imagine that he would say, hey, uh, get up, take up your mat and walk. Jesus always saying, Things that are a little bit out of the ordinary, right? He goes to that paralytic last week. He's like, you want to get well? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I want to get well. He looks at him. Everyone's like, yeah, this guy's got problems. Yeah, and his problem is clear as day. And he doesn't even talk about that. He's like, dude, your sins are forgiven. Like, what in the world? Because Jesus is pointing at the reason for their urgency. It wasn't about a physical condition. It was about a spiritual issue that he had that he could not wait another day for. There was something in him that he knew that my heart is not right with God. Listen, some of you, the, your hearts are not right with God. And you think, and other people think this is the issue. You got to get rid of this, or you need to do this, or you need to be. The, the issue is there's a spiritual sickness 
And for many of our people who don't have hope, the issue has nothing to do with what we see. The issue is a spiritual sickness. And the reason why they're so hopeless is because there's a deeply spiritual issue within them. That's the urgency. They said, listen, this guy is tormented. He's broken. He's hurting. There's something about him that only Jesus can do for him. And so they break the roof. They do all of these things, and they get him to Jesus because they realize that's what he needs. A faith and our hope grows in stages. It's awakened when we run towards the people that everybody else runs from. It grows a mile beyond the ordinary. But the last thing, faith, I'm sorry, hope is restored when we get them to Jesus, bring them to Jesus when they can't get to him alone. There are people, listen, there are people who desperately need Jesus but who cannot get to Jesus apart from the intervention of others. This is why every Sunday morning we pray. I say this, every Sunday morning we pray. We pray, God, we know that there are going to be people who desperately need you, but they don't know how to get to you. But God, we are the ones who are bringing these people to you in prayer. There are people who cannot get to Jesus, who desperately need him. See, the greatest need, understand this, the greatest need of people who are hopeless. These friends knew, hey, dude, cheer up. We're here for you. We're here for you. He didn't need them. Yeah, he needed them as friends, but that was not the greatest need in his life. Okay, understand this, guys. You've got friends who are hopeless. You may be feeling hopeless. Your greatest need is not, okay, I need to find a boyfriend. Your greatest need is that they find, uh, you find a group of friends who are going to love you. That's helpful. But the ultimate aim, the ultimate need and the desire, the longing of the person's heart is for them to get connected to Jesus. That's what they need at the end of the day. And these friends were deeply aware of this. They, hey, let's start a small group of five people. They're like, what can we really do for this person? There's one person who can do for our friend what nobody else can do. And that's our aim. We've got to get him to Jesus. Guys, this is what we do. This is how we restore hope. We get people to Jesus when they cannot get to him alone. The motto of a hope restorer is they say this. Listen, say, if, if, the, if this paralytic remembers me and he forgets about Jesus, then he's lost everything. But if, they forget, if he forgets about me, forgets about us, and he remembers Jesus, then he's lost nothing. This is it. Your hopeless friend doesn't need more friends unless those friends are going to get them to Jesus. Dr. Uh, Robert Cantrell, he was, um, when I was at, uh, at, at Virginia, he was the vice president and provost, provost of uh, the U- University of Virginia Health Science Center. Uh, he oversaw the, uh, the uh, medical school, the nursing school, and the UVA hospital. And he would tell every single one of his incoming medical school students and doctors, said, listen, I, this is a philosophy upon which our health science center works. God can heal. God alone is the healer. You and I are merely conduits of his healing power. That's it. God alone can heal, and he will use us if we make ourselves available to bring healing to people. This is what the paralytic's friends understood 
that Jesus alone can heal. And if you will make yourself available, you can be a conduit to restore hope in the lives of those who are hopeless. Jesus alone is the hope giver. Not, oh, you know what? She's so lonely. Why don't we find her a man? You know what? He's so lonely. Let's just, let's just get him married and then he'll be okay. No. Oh, my friend, my good-looking friend is so sad. Maybe I'll just start dating him and giving him the hope that he needs. No. That's silly. They don't need me. They don't need you. They, don't need, they need Jesus. Get him to Jesus. That was the mission of these friends. Just get him to Jesus, and that's it. Just get him to Jesus. He's the healer. And we do this as we pray for people. We intercede for people. There are people who have lost hope, and they've lost hope so deeply to the point where they say, I can't even pray. At which point we say, that's okay. When you don't have faith enough to pray, you can lean on the faith of your friends. Because Jesus says, listen, what does he say to these people? He says, verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. He sees the faith of other people, and he says, because of your faith, your friend finds healing. When your friends who are hopeless lose the ability to pray, I just can't pray anymore. Don't yell at them. Don't chastise them. Don't say, where's your faith, ye of little faith? Say, until you gain the faith, we're going to be praying for you to gain faith, but you can borrow our faith, and we will carry you to the presence of the healer who can get you what you need. In 2002, my mom uh, in Virginia started an intercessory prayer ministry for uh, her church in Virginia. Basically what this is, is they, every day they get hundreds of prayer requests from all over the world. And uh, there's a, a room, a prayer room at, at, at their church, and it's uh, locked. You have to have a, the code to get in. That room, there are hundreds of prayer requests. And you go through there and... and, and and round the clock, you know, people in one-hour shifts, 24 hours a day, constantly going in and they're praying. And as soon as they pray for somebody, they, they mark it off. As soon as they get an answer to prayer, they, they, they write the answer to prayer. But constantly people are going in there and they're praying. And they pray for the needs of the world. They pray for my needs and they pray for your needs. As I am, am often bringing our congregation before them in prayer. And they say sometimes, because my mom was a, was a head of that ministry, they say the first thing we pray for is, is this church in Orlando. They pray for the needs of people here. Uh, they've prayed for you when you were sick. They prayed for you when you were suicidal. They prayed for you when your family was falling apart, when your marriage was falling apart, when you were hopeless, when you were helpless. They've prayed for you, and they constantly do, and they will as long as they are in business of doing this intercessory prayer ministry. And uh, last week, my mom was here, and she said, you know, I, I, uh, I've been doing this for about 15 years, and I feel like it's, it's time to uh, I, I want to explore other areas of ministry. And as she prayed, she said, but Holy Spirit of God keeps convicting me. I don't move on from this. Weep with the broken. Weep with the hurting. Keep on weeping with those who are in need of healing. I think this is what they do. This is what they do. This is what we do in carrying incapacitated, paralyzed people who cannot get to Jesus on their own we bring them to Jesus when we pray for them. When they get to heaven, they're going to say, oh, they're going to meet some of you and say, oh, you're Joey. I've been praying for you. 
Oh, you're Greg. I've been praying for you. Oh, so you're David, Larry, Kim. We've been praying for you. It's so good to meet you. And I will say thank you so much for those times when I felt like I had no hope and you carried me to Jesus. There are people who are carrying you to Jesus, whether you know it or not. And maybe you're the kind of person who's carrying other people to Jesus as well. What you're doing is you're restoring hope, not just awakening it, not just growing it, but you are restoring hope to a hopeless person by getting them to Jesus. And every time you do, you get them into the presence of the healer, he restores hope. Well, we also restore hope. We get them to Jesus through sharing the gospel with them. Again, the deepest need of our friends is not just for us to say, well, let's go to fun spot and drown away our troubles. Now let's just go out and, and have dinner and, and, and have a good time. It's when we connect them to Jesus. Jesus, only Jesus. And he's the healer. He's the hope giver. He's the restorer of hope that you and your friends are desperately in need of. Don't be mistaken. There is no other. So they get him to Jesus, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And immediately people get upset. Oh, you know, only God can forgive. And Jesus knows in their heart what they're saying. And so he says, tell me this, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say to a paralytic, take up your mat and walk? Which is easier? And they're, you know, they're, they're both hard. And one is easier to say, right? I can say your sins are forgiven. I can say get up and walk. They're not going to listen to me probably. But which is easier to say? Well, you can say your sins are forgiven, but you're going to get killed because you're blasphemy. There's no right answer. So here's what Jesus is. This is brilliant. He says, okay, so I'm going to show you. I'm going to prove to you that on verse 10 that I have authority to forgive sins in verse 10. He says in verse 11, take up your mat and go home. He says, I will prove to you my power to do one by showing you my power to do the other. And then you will know that I can do both. What ends up happening Paralysis, forgiven, is healed. Sins are forgiven. But the greater rejoicing is over the fact that his sins were forgiven. Because, listen, Jesus could have forgiven or healed him. This is what happened last week. Paralytic got healed, and he came back, and Jesus said, Listen, unless you, forg- unless you stop sinning, something worse is going to happen. What's something worse? You're going to die in your sins, and you're going to spend an eternity apart from God. What good is it for a paralyzed body to be healed to spend an eternity apart from God. It would be better to be paralyzed on this earth, to have your sins forgiven, and then to be free for all of eternity from that body of death. But he gets both because of an act of grace. And every time Jesus heals, he pays the price. Every time Jesus pronounces forgiveness, because he pays a price. The friends paid a price to break through the roof. They carried a mat But Jesus paid a price because he carried his cross. And in order for our sins to be forgiven, in order for our illnesses to be forgiven, in order for our brokenness to be healed, Jesus had to pay the price. That's why there's no one else, no one else who can restore hope apart from him because nobody else could pay the price that was needed to be paid. So who are the friends in your life that are hopeless right now? I can think of, a, I can think of, I mean, I'm having a movie theater right now of people who are hopeless because everybody has run away from them. 
because they feel like there's no hope. What does it look like for you to run to them? Not making excuses. Hey, don't make excuses for yourself or for them. Jesus says, listen, we run to them. When everybody else runs away, we run. that's what it means to bring hope, to go the extra mile, ultimately to connect them to Jesus. God is the healer. He's the restorer of hope. He wants to use you. Will you be available to be a channel of hope to a world in need? Let's pray. Let's bring people to Jesus right now, guys. Let's bring the spiritually paralyzed. They're paralyzed because of some accident that happened that caused them to say, I can't anymore. They're paralyzed because they were born in that way and they just, whatever, whatever it might be. Let's pray. Lord, give them hope. Give them hope. Give them hope. Cause it to awaken. Cause it to grow. Cause it to be restored. Hope which was lost because of something that happened in life. Hope which was lost because of some hurt that was inflicted upon them. Hope which was lost because of something that I may have done. Hope which was lost because so many things happened in their life that seemed to push them away from God. But God Almighty, use me to be an agent to restore hope to those who are hurting. It doesn't matter how long people have run away from them. It doesn't matter how long it's been since I've talked to her. I can, I can still bring hope to her. I can still bring hope to him. Maybe an indestructible hope is on the other side of the choice that I make this week, the choice that I make right now, today. Maybe hope is on the other side of the decision that I'm going to commit to right now. Maybe even right now, Lord, if there, after I pray, I'm going to send a message to somebody saying, I'm praying for you. Let's get together for tea. Let's get together for dinner. God can use you, ordinary you, unnamed, anonymous you, on an ordinary day like today to bring hope. Unshakable. It has nothing to do with you or me or how well you or I can speak. It has everything to do with Jesus. A hope which will never fade, will never fail, will never fall short. Jesus, only Jesus can do that. And he wants to use you as a healer. He wants to use you as a channel. He wants to use you as a conduit. Would you? Would you hear the call of God in a world that's desperate for hope? Would you be willing to incarnate it? simple things in order that others might find life in Christ. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Lord Almighty, use me as a channel of hope. You have filled me with a hope beyond the grave. And there are people who feel like they cannot make it another day. May the eternal hope in me cause me to go forth to bring hope and encouragement so that a life can be changed on an ordinary day like today. Let's pray. Use me, Lord. Let's pray for those people. Bring them to Jesus. Let's help them. I know, I know they've done you wrong. I know they're doing things that we don't approve of, but let's not run away from them. Let's run to them. 
Let's awaken hope in these people through the gospel of Christ. Let's pray together. Let's pray for a couple moments. I'll pray for us and we'll continue to respond with songs of hope and worship. heaven it's a uh, it's a pretty scary and rotten thing that we sometimes do as we begin to judge or become critical of those who have lost hope maybe they've disappointed us and maybe they have not met our expectations but father help us to see what you see in them who are harassed and helpless, longing for hope, desperate for someone to reach out, desperate for someone to bring the hope and the grace and the mercy and the love of God to them. We never know how much they've struggled and fought to get to this place to keep themselves alive another day. We never know how much they've struggled trying to do what's right, but constantly failing and then feeling like they're all alone. Father, I pray that in us, for them, and in them about their own lives, that hope which was lost would begin to come to life again. Father, that you would help us through the beautiful and powerful gospel, that you would awaken new hope, fresh eyes, fresh vision, a burning heart, a love-filled heart, that we might move towards them that we would go the extra mile, and most importantly, that we would get them to Jesus. So help us to help them to bring hope into their lives. We thank you. Thank you for being our hope. We love you because you loved us first, and you gave us a hope which could never be taken away from us. Now help us to be channels of that grace to those in need. In Jesus' name we pray.